Hello, everyone out there, whether you are working from home or you are part of the essential workforce in your place of residence. This is episode 122 of Lockdown Canadians. We are your daily Montreal Canadians podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where even without sports, you get your team every single day. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Mal, of course, and I am joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. Laura, how are you on this Monday evening? Well, I haven't gone outside all day, so I'm hoping that after I record, I can go outside for a walk because I'm going a little bit stir crazy inside and I'm trying to be very careful about social distancing. But I'm also aware that right about now is probably the time where a lot of people would go out for a run. So I'm really hoping I get some time outside. Otherwise, I feel like by the time we record tomorrow, I'm going to be walking on the walls. I, I'm very similar in that I haven't really spent much time outside in a week, mostly because I've been working and trapped indoors, which, you know, not great, but uh, I have the next two days off, which is going to be nice because we have actually a surprise, really fun guest coming up later in the week. And maybe we'll let you in on that. Maybe we won't. And we'll see where it goes. Um. But the two days off are going to hopefully be good, can either go for a run or go for a long walk and just help, you know, kind of refresh and reset everything after uh, what's been a long five days that's felt like about six months worth of time in just the amount of work that's been done. Um, however, to start off this episode, we want to pose a question for our listeners before we give our answers I believe it was Locked On Canes uh, tweeted out that they were looking for what would your goal song be. So like a goal song for not only our podcast, but Laura and I kind of expanded on that. And what would your personal goal song be if you were to make the NHL and score a goal? And it can be anything. We want to hear what your answers are for this. And we're going to read them out at the beginning of next episode we're going to try and do that more often now. We're going to kind of pose a question to get some more feedback from our listeners here. And I'm very interested to see what people's goal songs, because some people are creative and fun with it. Like, you know, Thomas Hurdle's goal song is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song, which is awesome. So we want to hear from you guys and gals out there what your goal song would be if you scored a goal in the NHL. Laura, what would your personal goal song be if you made the NHL and why? Okay, so no laughing. I I had one. I had a couple. Okay, actually, the first one was the one that I told you. I said I would do Shake It Off by Taylor Swift because that is a fun goal song. Like, you know, you, you score a goal and you sort of like stick it to the people who didn't believe in you or whatever. And I think that that's a good song to do that. Um, but then I also just thought of a another song that's kind of like... Um, I, I, I guess I associated, I associate them with, with, uh, the Canadians. I don't, I don't even think they're a Montreal band. I believe they're a Toronto band, but it's possible that they might be, uh, a Montreal band. But, um, there's a song called Knocking at the Door, Knocking at the Door by the Arc Hills. I really, I, they're either con- Canadians fans or they're from Montreal. I can't remember which. Uh, but anyway, so that's a song that they often play as uh like I guess the montages like to preview hockey night in Canada or during the playoffs I'm pretty sure they've been used in playoff montages as well 
but I feel like it's it's a good song. Like the energy of the song kind of encapsulates what I would want to embody as a hockey player, and I would be very much like a Brendan Gallagher type, like really small, really annoying. So to answer your question, the Arkells are from Hamilton, I believe, because last year I went to Buffalo to see the Who play a show, and the Arkells were the opening act, and I can tell you they're a ton of fun, and I think that's a great, great thing. And I have a funny story about that. So they released a new album that was on the NHL, one of their songs on the NHL 19 soundtrack. And one of their songs was called Eyes on the Prize. And I saw it came up in my Twitter feed and I quoted it and tagged Eyes on the Prize, the website, and went, hey, are we getting royalties for this? And I got a message from them going, well, we can't do royalties, but does anyone want, you know, tickets and passes to a show in Montreal? And I went, how do I have this kind of power because I was just making a joke and I went, uh, I didn't think I'd get this far. I don't know what to do in this situation right now. <laughs> but are they are Canadians fans, right? Am I imagining this? I assume so. I'm not 100% sure, but I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say yes, because everyone should be a Canadians fan unless they like loathing and misery, in which case <laughs> you should be a Maple Leafs fan. And that's what you get all of that. So I actually had to think about this, and so for if our show were to have a song for it, or whatever it would be, it'd be Four Simple Words um, by Frank Turner, and because there are four simple words that we always say on this show, Nick Suzuki is cerebral, and that's why, I, that's why I'm going <laughs> That, that I, was I, like a long roundabout way. And I, I spent 700 kilometers trying to explain a table metaphor in the last episode. This isn't that far <laughs> off topic for me. Um, do you want to tell our listeners what you said for me before we started recording? Oh, that Laura's uh, personal one for this show should be I've Been Everywhere by Johnny Cash so she can work on her geography skills. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any less listeners would argue with that. I mean, no, but at the same time, I can't say anything because I'm bound to make an entire whole fool of myself over something basic soon, and I fully expect you to kind of lord it over my head for a while. <laughs> well, I did. I was going to say I was editing yesterday's episode, and I was so proud of all of your pronunciations. I even was about to tweet it. But I didn't know if if it would come across properly in a tweet because you went from calling Jonathan like from Drouin to Drouin, which is like how Quebecers call it, which is like how I've been saying it. And I'm like, not only are you getting Laval right, you are also pronouncing Jonathan Drouin the way we do here. I'm slowly learning and picking it up because when I watch or, you know, doing and repeating something a lot. So, like, when I watch binge watch all of Top Gear, like, a couple of summers ago, I just kind of picked up British slang on, like, the fly, and so I called it, I, someone's like, oh, I need to open the hood. I'm like, oh, you mean the bonnet? And they're like, wait, what? And I was like, I, I just pick it up and kind of, after a while, it just becomes part of it. So, like, Dwayne <laughs> is part of, like, how I understand it now. <laughs> like, uh, Nicolas yeah. Deloyer. Like, I, it's all things that I've, kind of picked up and maybe Mark Dumont and Andrew Berkshire will stop making fun of me for the way I pronounce things now, even if I'm not fully <laughs> there yet. So they're still going to do it. I mean, expected, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
So what about this show? Uh, so what was yours like for for like the real one for the show? Like so you oh, had no, your idea. So that is your real one. one? Was, that was the one for the show. Yes. Right. Okay. So mine was going to be uh thunderclouds it's by like whatever collaborative thing c is doing now with like i want to say like dipo anyway they have like this little group and, and the song is called thunderclouds and i want to say it came out um like months ago not not years ago like last spring or last summer and it's like it's essentially a song about catastrophizing like small issues and i feel like that's kind of good for the fan base i think yeah, it, I think that's very fitting. And I also understood some of the artists involved in that. Um, <laughs> I am not what the kids call with it these days. So I'm, I'm like also not with it and also like quite a bit older than you are. So I'm extremely unhip. Well, speaking of hip and unhip and, you know, different er- levels of fans, we asked for your underrated or underappreciated players. And Laura and I each have our own. In our next segment coming up, we're going to talk about our picks and some of the ones that uh, you, our listeners, sent us on Twitter and why. And we're actually really excited because we got more, uh, a lot different answers than I was expecting with this. And we'll get into that coming up next. Underrated players and not it's so difficult to name an underrated player for the Canadians, I feel like, because they have such a big history of just incredible players that we talked about it um after Henri Richard passed away that he had to live in the shadow of Jean Beliveau and his brother Maurice Richard and even then he was underrated but still one of the greatest hockey players to ever live on the face of the earth so we asked on Twitter for your suggestions and Laura and I have kind of been brainstorming and coming up for I guess maybe one player that we both feel is underrated. And for myself, I tended to lean more on the modern side of things. Laura, who did you uh, pick as your um, underrated player in Canadians history? So I don't really like with history. I have to say that it's a guess um, for sure. Because I wasn't around, obviously, and even if I was around, I wasn't necessarily paying attention uh, to hockey. But in history, I would say, and and I'm not the first person to pick it. I will say this: uh, we've got we've got at least one person who who, who mentioned him, and that's going to be Steve Shutt for the specific conversation that we had with Kyle Demetrius earlier, because he was playing with Lafleur and still putting up like what like crazy points. 60 goal seasons. Yeah, exactly. On that same team. And, and, you know, and I, I, again, I was not around. I was not in the stands, but you didn't hear people yelling, Steve, Steve. You would hear people yelling, Gee, Gee, right? Like, so, um, I, like, I think that that's a really good pick for historically, obviously. Um, and, uh, we've got a couple of really good ones actually that, that people responded to when we put out the call to our, our listeners, but in the modern era, as much as I believe that, um, you know, uh, Saku should be sainted, I think he was properly rated after he left. I think that he got like, he was much maligned when he was here, but after he left, people started realizing the value of him. But I think that has not happened with Max Pacioretty. I think Max Pacioretty is a player who puts, who put up numbers 
in short amount, like in, in like specific amounts of time that were comparable to Ovechkin's. I'm not saying he's Ovechkin level good. I'm saying if you can have the same conversation about their numbers over periods of time and only Ovechkin was better than him. Granted, Sidney Crosby had a lot of injury problems. Like for me, that to me and, and how people did not, it's like people don't even miss him in this city. And so for me, I'm going to say in the modern era, Max Petretti in my mind, is an underrated player. I'm going to, so my modern player, and I don't think this is going to surprise a lot of people, is going to end up being Andre Markov, who is tied for second in all-time scoring by a Canadian defenseman and is 18th overall in club history, which when you look at some of the names on that list, it's pretty impressive. And the only guy ahead of him on the defensive scoring list is Larry Robinson, who's, you know, one of the best defensemen of all time, it feels like Markov never fully was appreciated. He did a lot of lifting here when the team wasn't very good, a lot like Saku did playing forward. This is a guy who had three major injuries, like right in a row, two knees and an Achilles, and still came back and was producing 40 to 50 point seasons in top four minutes. And I'm always going to be sad that he didn't get his thousandth NHL game here in Montreal. I always thought that he should have been brought back for at least one more year. He obviously went to Russia. He won a Gagarin Cup and everything. Um, but for all time, and I said this on the episode with uh, Kyle Demetrius last week, my, you know, kind of all time or, you know, slightly older is going to be end up being Mats Nasland, who had 612 points and is in, the, you know, the top 15 for scoring just ahead of Thomas Placanitz and just behind Elmer Locke and Saku Koivu, that's pretty heady company for all three of those players involved there. But when people talk about great players, they talk about Lafleur, they talk about Belleville, they talk about the Richards, even, you know, Cornwallier, the occasional uh, shut. But not a lot of people seem to mention how good Matt's Nasland was for this Canadiens team. And I think all time, he's definitely going to be that guy that I would pick that, doesn't nearly get enough love and everything that he should have. So now, yeah, but I think that's absolutely a great, a great pick. I think I said it on that show. That's a really good one. And with that, we do, um, we put this out earlier and we got a, a few answers for this and we'd always love to hear more, like keep sending answers. If you have, if you listen to this and you have answers, please go ahead and send them right in. Um, if we're going to dive right into, uh, some of the answers we got when I tweeted this out earlier this morning. Uh, the first one comes from Kevin Wall, and he said Brian Scrudland seemed to be one of those players who was always in the right place when it mattered. And now I might be too young, but if I remember correctly, Scrudland was a huge piece of one of those, uh, I believe it was the 86 Stanley Cup that he was such a huge, uh, you know, piece of that. And you don't hear his name because everyone talks about Patrick Waugh in 1986 and 1993, you know, he was one of those uh, guys. He wasn't a big numbers guy or he didn't put up a ton of, you know, numbers, but he seemed to be that trusted piece. Um, I agree. And we've got another vote for Markov. Yes, we do. Uh, from Gabriel H. Pichel, Um If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, Andre Markov, he's not only underrated as a Habs player, but he's underrated league-wide. And Nick Green also says that, immediately agreeing that a great team player, and it's hard to argue against that Andre Markov 
in his prime was a dynamite, you know, power play quarterback there. He made Sheldon Surrey's career basically when he got to Montreal. He made Mike Kamasarek <laughs> an all-star before, right. you know, Elon Remember that took contract? Oh, oh, I, who's Kamasarek's or Surrey's? No, no, the, <laughs> oh God. I'd block that one out. Like the contract that Kamasarek got with Toronto. Yes, because Andre Markov made him look like he wasn't a, you know, slightly more mobile pylon. Um, <laughs> uh, for Matt Drake, uh, mandatory Steve Shutt plug. Uh, Guy Lafleur would not have had six consecutive 100-point seasons without his finisher. He gets all the praise, but Steve's number should be in the rafters with him. And I think that's a fun debate to have is whose number should go up next. And I believe Steve Shutt uh, definitely has a uh, very... Uh, strong case for that and let's see here we have a few more um from big al and mtl uh oleg petrov uh ryan taylor says pierre mondu and from uh little big data general at lancaster 67 (laughs) doug riseborough he played on a stack team so is often overlooked but as a terrific lockdown player who Scotty Bowman could rely on to kill the clock once Lafleur at all had established a lead. So we talked about the greatest team in Canadians history, that team that only lost eight games. Doug Riseborough was part of that team. And you don't only lose eight games in a year unless your entire team is just absolutely incredible. And like I said, Brian Scrudlin and, you know, Doug Riseborough were not names I expected. I expected to see maybe a Markov. I expected to see, you know, Steve Shutt because I know Matt would never turn down a chance to uh, pump Steve Shutt's tires there. So uh, if you have any more underrated players, please send them to at LO underscore Canadians or Laura or myself. We always want to hear who you think is underrated or not talked enough about. And Laura, one of our former show guests put out an article about underrated players that had two Canadians names that I think both you and I would agree on, right? Yes, absolutely. So Adam Gretz, who is, uh, he, he writes for lots of places, but one of them is for, um, NHL on NBC Sports. And he had an article today about underrated players around the league and Brendan Gallagher made his like main list. And the first honorable mention that he had was Jeff Petrie. And I, I don't know, like, because when you're a Habs fan, I think you and I have become used to Jeff Petrie being underrated. But I think within our fan base, Brendan Gallagher is not underrated. I do think, though, around the league, people tend to think of him as a pest and not a really talented forward who, like, brings a lot to a team. Yeah, it's... We're still in that era where people think Brendan Gallagher is the same thing as, like, Brad Marchand or Nazem Kadri, where they cross that line. Brendan Gallagher's a guy who's annoying within the rules of the game. He goes for the puck in the crease like he's allowed to, and other teams just kind of get mad at him for that. Like, we've talked about how much value Brendan Gallagher brings, not only regularly, like, with his heart and soul and his hustle— but, like, statistically and with advanced statistics, Brendan Gallagher is an elite forward in the NHL. He doesn't get the praise because he doesn't score goals like Matthews or Ovechkin or Pasternak or anything like that. But he does things that help teams win. And without Brendan Gallagher, I'd shudder to think what this Canadian team would look like on a regular basis without that kind of player in there. 
And anyone who follows me knows, you know, I love Jeff Petrie. I will always say he's underrated on his own team by his own fan base. There were so many people calling for him to be traded at points this season as the season kind of slipped away that it's like, I don't think you realize just how good this player is. And it's really not a smart move to get rid of them without a replacement. Exactly. And, and so I don't know. I think there's a lot of debate to be had and we have to admit that we borrowed this question from who did we borrow? He, we, we didn't borrow. We kind of stole it, didn't we? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, you know, everything is borrowed on the internet these days. <laughs> so who did we steal it from? I, I want, it wasn't, it wasn't Julian McKenzie. Uh, the underrated players thing, uh, Andrew Zadarnowski was on TSN 690 on Sunday and they were talking about it. So also it an was, underrated person. Yes, Andrew's great. If you ever have any completely random historical questions or, uh, CBA related <laughs> stuff, Andrew's definitely your guy. <laughs> Anyway, so I think it's interesting, you know, I would love to hear what uh, our listeners think. You can also email us. We, we put out the call on Twitter, but if you have any thoughts or feelings about this, email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com, and we will bring it up at some point in the future. Yes, and unfortunately, there is some more bad news in the world of hockey today, and we're going to talk about how that actually impacts the Canadians especially with the draft looming only a couple of months away now with, you know, no hockey on the horizon. And we'll touch on that in our next segment coming up. Laura and I were kind of preparing for this show. We kind of passed notes along in DMs about what we think we can talk about. And as we were kind of preparing, the news came down from Bob McKenzie and the CHL that for the first time since World War One. The Memorial Cup will not be awarded this year. The CHL playoffs across the board, WHL, OHL, QMJHL, are all canceled. The Memorial Cup is canceled. And not only is that awful, you know, news for sports fans, but for a lot of these players who are in their final year of eligibility, the overage players or guys who may be moving on, they never kind of got their last chance to make a play for a championship. And that stings a bit. But Laura brought up a point, and it was an article from, I believe, The Athletic. You said that a lot of this has impacting on how the Canadians are going to do their scouting, correct? Well, I would think that it applies to all the teams. But obviously, since it was one of our, I want to say it was um, Marc-Antoine Godet. But if it was Arpin Basu, I apologize. I did read this, like, you know, I, when, when he wrote it, which I think was uh, late last week. Or I read it over the weekend. Anyway. Um, so the article was specifically about the Montreal Canadiens having 14 picks in the upcoming draft and how this is, is a major draft for them, because as we've talked about, the Canadians need to change direction with what they're doing and they need to do it fast. And one of the ways that they can do that is by rebuilding with, uh, with smart picks over like during that draft. And so a large chunk of the season is not going to be available to the Canadian scouts. And uh, right now, there's no word on whether or not the combine, the NHL combine in Buffalo is going to take place. I am told by, I guess, people around hockey that the teams really care about this. But I don't know. I think Scott has a different view, but let, let me just sort of like talk about it real quick what the article said. So what the, what the team has been doing is the scouts have been trading video of 
players uh, up up to date, right? So they've been constantly talking about, like, they had their midseason rankings like they always would. And since then, they've been, I guess, kind of uh, sharing more existing information. Because if you think about it, like, when you have your scouts all over the place, uh, following different players and not being able to because you can't be in more than one place at once, not being able to really spend a lot of time watching as much as you would ideally like, this is giving them an opportunity because, A, they don't have anywhere to go or they shouldn't be going anywhere, and, B, the players aren't playing. Like, no new information is being added. So I think that they can uh, spend more time, like, analyzing video and information that they already have. So that's, I think... It's it's not necessarily a negative. It is unfortunate that the Memorial Cup is canceled and also the under-18 uh, championships have been canceled because those two tournaments, but specifically in the article it mentions the under-18, the, the, like the world championships, like are a really, I guess, important tournament uh, for, for scouts, and especially for younger players that are about to come up in the draft. But at the same time, for like... You, you don't get to see how they play in playoff scenarios and championship scenarios. And that is something that, that you do want if you're a scout. I, I think if you, you, if you are a team, you want to know how that works out, how the player responds to that kind of pressure and what kind of a role they play in, in scenarios like that. I understand that completely. So that is unfortunate. And it's also kind of sad for players who, let's say, might have been injured earlier in the year, so they have less games this year under their belt that scouts can analyze. Like, they, they aren't able to make a case for themselves either way. And so, like, that's one thing that the Canadians have been doing is sort of, like, modifying their strategy into, like, spending more time uh, watching existing video or sending each other opinions and things like that. But also, um, the article mentioned that the Canadians sent out their questionnaire that they that they did last year as well. So they had sent out a questionnaire to all the players that they were interested in, potentially all the players, I don't know, but definitely the players they were interested in. It was like an online sort of thing that they fell out. And then, like, on the other end, the data that the Canadians get, they would kind of bring up in their interviews at the Combine. So let's say, uh, specifically in the article they were mentioning, Let's say you answer a lot of questions and then the program or algorithm analyzes that you might have issues in confidence in the area of confidence. Then they would bring it up in your interview and like potentially like, you know, how, how what do you do if you are having a crisis of confidence or what do you do to build up your own confidence? So things like that. Like, I feel like a lot of that stuff. I'm not sure what the value is. If a player is skilled, they're skilled. If a player clearly shows signs of having off ice issues. And when I say that, I mean like criminal issues, uh, like then you stay away from them. But I think that like some questions on a questionnaire don't necessarily have a lot to do with how a player is going to perform, perform five years down the line in a different setting. But that's neither here nor there. So one of the things that they mentioned, and Scott, this is where you're going to laugh because I know what you feel, how you feel about the combine. But they were like, well, um, you can't exactly have each player do like all the tests for each, you know, a different set of teams. Like if, let's say three teams are interested in you, then you do the same set of tests three times. Each one comes by and does that or, and, and checks you out while you do that. Or like if you have 31 teams interested in you, like, how do you how do you replicate the results that you did? Like, whatever they do, like those um, like on those bike tests and things like that. What's the one that always makes people throw up? Uh, the Wingate test. 
That one, yeah. So, like, there's no point to that. So then, so the, the, like, the discussion is, like, do they send a league representative and the, the guy just runs through the test by himself with this league representative and then the league, like, gives the information to all the teams, which seems kind of useless. And all of it ends up feeling kind of useless at the end of the day. And so I'm curious to hear about your opinion of the combine and its worth. So... My whole thing with the combine is the NFL combine is important because they're using on-field skills that are applicable to what happens to an NHL player. Their 40-yard dash, their ability to, you know, stop and turn, their pass-catching drills, their throwing drills, stuff like that. The NHL combine has zero on-ice testing, like how quickly can, you know, a player go through the stick-handling course? What is their accuracy like? What does their passing skill kind of look like? The tests there all measure some physical things that are related to it, but my thought is, I don't care how many bench presses a 17-year-old kid can do. He's still growing. He's going to put on more muscle and everything. It's not going to matter in a few years. I don't, like, they're standing broad jump. It's like, okay, this is how far they can jump. When has anyone ever jumped, like, distance in the NHL besides, you know, Rafi Torres or Tom Wilson to hit somebody in the head? Like, it's important, the thing about the Combine is teams like it because it gives them that interview time that they can see what kind of personality and development these players have. Some players, you know, don't handle the interviewing well, and that, you know, and teams, for whatever reason, take that more seriously. It's like, oh, well, he had a bad interview, so he's kind of dropping a little bit. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but if he scored 60 goals, but you kind of didn't like his interview, are you going to take the 60 goals into account, or are you going to take the, you know, one bad interview into an account. It's, um, if that's canceled, plus with the way all these tournaments, the under 18, the world championships, obviously the CHL and everything is canceled, teams are going to have to go back and find the stock video footage. They're going to have to go back and do like a lot of the, you know, bloggers and writers do and actually watch all this film and break stuff down. They're going to have to do a lot more judging about what's happening just on the ice. And maybe the NHL sets up a window period where it's like, hey, during this time, these U teams are allowed to talk to these players via, like, video chat or whatever it is and conduct your interviews for, like, this week of time, like they would during the Combine. And then these players will be tested separately and we'll send the results out to everybody from there. Because, like, for the Canadians, they hold their own private Combines after the NHL when they hold one in Europe in Stockholm and they hold one in Montreal the one in Montreal is a lot for players from the QMJHL in that area. And the one in Sweden are, you know, uh, players from Russia or all across Europe, which is probably how they found some of these guys like Arsen Hissamutadinov from Russia or uh, Frederick Dishau, who's playing in Sweden right now. These are players they found through that. I'm wondering now, teams are going to have to get a lot more in depth and have to dig a lot more. These scouting staffs are going to get pushed to the test here because they can't just go to the combine and base a lot off of that. They can't just watch these tournaments and go off of sample sizes. They've got to watch hours of potentially low quality video to kind of get a read on these players. And that's not just the Canadians. That's across the board. It's going to be real interesting to see what some of these teams do to kind of figure out how they're going to do the draft this year. Honestly, I I think it's just a couple of months. And yes, it's true that these two tournaments are being canceled really puts a damper on it. I think it's just a couple of months, unless it's a player that was injured for a big chunk of the season. 
I feel like you can get the information you need to get because if you think about it, if it's a player who generally is kind of is like on the good side but not necessarily elite, but then they have an astounding playoffs and and their like their stock rises, but then like throughout their career they're going to be a good but not elite player. There's like miscalculations that happen. So honestly, I think that um extended video review is probably is probably the best way to go about it. And for the Montreal Canadiens, I like from what I know of of like their past draft decision making, there's usually like the scouts will have a bunch of guys that they have their eyes on that like they really are uh extremely pro or really would like the Canadians to get and then like throughout the year they're kind of like watching for it and at the end of the year they make their case to to management. I think that that's kind of how it goes, right? So, like, if there's somebody that you like, unless they do something, unless they were to do something egregiously bad in the last couple of months of the season, I don't see how it changes your decision. Yeah, I think good scouting staffs and good teams have their, you know, things in mind, barring anything, like, crazy happening. You know, like, oh, he had a disappointing, you know, Memorial Cup or under-18 tournament. Or, oh, this player had one good month out of a year. I think good scouting staffs, and I think Trevor Timmons has a very good scouting staff, are not going to be swayed too much by this. But as, like, in the opening rounds where there are more well-known players, they're golden. You know, where these people are known, they have footage on them, they probably scouted them in person. As we get into the later rounds, and you're throwing more darts at the dartboard hoping to hit on something... It's going to be a lot more hit or miss, I feel like, on what's going to be there. We may see some people not get drafted that end up being pretty good players that, you know, go back for an overager in, you know, their league or sign as like an AHL signing or an undrafted free agent somewhere afterwards. It's it's going to be interesting just because we're going to see who does and does not have a capable staff going in through all of this. Um like I said, I, I trust the Canadians on this, and I trust them. They have a bunch of CHL guys now that their season is over. They got a decision to make on some contracts here. Uh, Cam Hillis, Alan McShane, Cole Fonstad, Fonstad Samuel Hood, and Raphael Harvey Pinard are all up for, I believe, entry-level deals that they can sign. Or And I believe the Canadians said they're only going to sign one of the four out of Hood, Fonstad, Hillis, and McShane. I am not sure about Harvey Pinard right now, and it'll be interesting to see. Like, okay, you're not going to get to watch these guys in the playoffs now. What do you base your decision on? And it's going to be real interesting to see what they do. However, that is going to bring an end to our show here. If you have an opinion on who you think out of those four the Canadians should sign, tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. We want to hear your personal goal songs as well, and you can always tag Laura at the Active Stick or myself at Scott Matla and that. Thank you, everyone who's listening. You can always find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever. And now, thanks for listening to this episode of Lockdown Canadians. Tell your smart device to play Lockdown NHL.